Good afternoon and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is Diana Hope and I'm delighted to be chairing this event with the fabulously talented Jackie Kay. The sun is shining and we have an hour of her poetry. Nothing could be better. Jackie Kay is a poet. She has written four collections plus The Lamplighter, which is, is uh, last year, which is a narrative poem, a dramatised poem. She's a novelist. Trumpet, her novel, won the Guardian Fiction Prize and, like much of her work, explored the sexual and cult cultural identity. She's a writer for children. She's written a novel, Straw Girl, and a collection of poetry for children, Red, Cherry, Red. She's a short story writer. She has two sparkling collections of short stories. She's also written extensively for radio, theatre and television, and she has won many, many awards for her work. Today she is going to read poetry, much of it new, I'm delighted to say, and she's going to read um, and leave perhaps 10 minutes at the end for questions from the floor. Um, normally with poetry you can just have the whole hour with, with, with the voice of the poet, but Jackie's always such a popular person for people to question that we'll have 10 minutes at the end. And then there will be a signing in the signing tent and you can come and continue um, talking to her there. And, uh, She'll be signing Darling, her latest um, published anthology, and um, also The Lamplighter, the dramatised poem. So please join with me in giving a huge welcome to Jackie Kay. Thank you, Di. I think I'll take off my jacket. Get down to work. <laughs> it's really very nice that you've all come, and um, especially lovely to have a sunny day in Edinburgh. We haven't, we haven't got the, the lovely sound of rain in the tent. The, the only way that rain's nice in Edinburgh is that sound that takes you back to rain in a caravan roof in the tent. We can, we can imagine that. Anyway, it's really lovely to be here, and thanks very much for, for Di. She's a, an old friend, so it's, it's nice to be in, in safe hands. Um, so I'm going to start by reading a children's poem, a couple of children's poems, and this first one is called Double Trouble. I'm really fascinated with how we make our world into opposites uh, the whole time. That's the way that we seem to understand our world. I was in a school in Berlin once, and I was with the other uh, poet, Glyn Maxwell, and there was a bunch of sort of 80, 17-year-olds, very cool 17-year-olds from the days when they kept their trainers open. <laughs> no laces, no laces. And the teacher said, those who would like to discuss homosexuality, race, or adoption, go with Frau K into this corner. <laughs> those who would like to discuss anything else with Mr. Maxwell, go to this corner. So I got two very brave 17-year-olds. <laughs> I loved them both, but not in that way. <laughs> We were rich and poor, we were bought and sold, we were black and white, we were young and old, we were life and death, we were north and south, we were hand and hand, we were foot and mouth, we were good and bad, we were war and peace, we were day and night, we were man and beast, we were hunger and greed, we were water and land, we were empty and full, we were lost and found. We had two strings to our bow. We were in it together. We were the spitting image. We were the doppelganger. We were terrible twins. We were happy and sad. We were alter ego. We were sane and mad. We were two-faced. We were two a penny. We spat double our quits. We sneered double the money. We liked to two time. We stayed in a twin town. We led a double life. We lived in a two-up two down. We were too much. We were entwined. We were a right pair. We were in two minds. We peered through bifocals. We talked in double entendres. We walked double quick. We never wondered. We were a double act. We were Markham and Wise. We were Laurel and Hardy. We were Jekyll and Hyde. We were Romeo and Juliet. We were tragedy and comedy. We spoke tete a tete. We were a carbon copy. We dreamt in a double bed. We were fluently bilingual. <laughs> we were in two minds. We were never single. We drove on dual carriageways. We insisted on equal pay. We were twinned. We were mated. We loved and we hated. We could not be separated. We could not be separated. Thank you. 
It's another poem for children. This is from my little children's book, Red, Red Cherry Red. And uh, it's another poem for children that I wrote um, after talking to the, the scientist, Ian Hutchinson, who works with Saving Faces. And um, I was kind of uh, fascinated with the whole subject of facial uh, deformity, particularly in children. My face is a map. I was born with a map of Australia on my face. It was beautiful, my mother told me. There was nobody like me in the whole wide world who could trace the edges of down under on the raised and grafted songlines of her face. I was connected to the upside down people, to those who loved the bush and the kangaroo. I could never smile or frown or weep in case my special map fell off my face. My face was pulled tight so that nobody got lost. I held my head steady and I held my head high when people gaped and gawped and gawked. I thought they were trying to find Alice Springs to work out where they wanted to go, where they'd been. And when somebody stared for a very long time, I would simply ask if they'd been down under. The hardest human heart melts when it sees a koala bear. My words were slower than other children's because my map was stitched to my mouth. Every time I managed a whole sentence, I imagined a small boat floating out of Sydney Harbour. Yesterday, there was talk of peeling my map off, changing my face so that it looked like others. My mother said I should have a long think and that maybe life would be easier. I'm thinking now, staring hard into the mirror. I chase the hard edges of the world in my face. I know the hard stares of some people. Without my map, will I be the same person? Will I know where I am, where I've been? Okay. Okay. I'm kind of fascinated with the idea that we all could just be somebody else if we'd had different experiences, or that sometimes we have different experiences, like Di and I were just talking about earlier, and they change us for a moment uh, into somebody else. And this, this um, comes, I think, also from not looking exactly how people think I'll look if they hear me, uh, first of all, on the phone or on the radio. I went into a school in, um, in Manchester, where I live now, and uh, a teacher said to me, do you know, I've heard you lot on the radio, and in my mind, you were tall and slender. <laughs> she said, just shows you what the radio can do, don't it? And she said, never mind your voice is Highland water going over stones. <laughs> eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> is that not scraping the barrel for a compliment? Eh? Not even you've got nice eyes or something. Something like a consolation, you know? Never mind, never mind. If I was not myself, I would be somebody else. But actually, I am somebody else. I have been somebody else all my life. It's no laughing matter going about the place all the time being somebody else. People mistake you. You mistake yourself. Oh, it's only a wee poem. So a wee poem doesn't deserve a clap. <laughs> oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Stand up for the wee poems. <laughs> so it's uh, this is uh, in the voice of the mammy in Gone, Gone with the Wind. And uh, I'm really interested in these mammy characters that appear in these American fi uh, films. Films, I was going to say. <laughs> What's happened to my voice? It's meant to be film, like poem. <laughs> but not film. Anyway, so this is, in, this is in, in her voice. I'm sort of really interested in that thing of how we all smile often when it's the last thing that we feel like doing. We put a smile, literally, we call it putting a brave face on it or putting a smile on our face all the time. And I do that quite a lot. I was in Drimmen uh, quite recently, a place that's spelt dry men, as you know, but pronounced Drimmen. But lots of dry men about in Drimmen. <laughs> and, uh, and I was trying on this top and my mum said to me, that colour suits you. And this complete stranger came up to me and said, I think that colour suits you too, dear. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> I said, I'm from Glasgow. She said, oh, is that right? 
because I've got a friend from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> <laughs> it looked good in a T-shirt, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, another time I went to sit down in a, in a chair in a pub and this complete stranger came up to me and said, you can't sit in that chair. That's my chair. This was in, in London, by the way, in, in, in Hackney. And I, and I said to her, oh, you're from Glasgow, aren't you? And she went, aye. How did you know that? <laughs> I said, I'm psychic. <laughs> I said, I'm from Glasgow myself. He went, you're not, are you? You foreign-looking bugger. <laughs> Everybody loves, gone with the wind, this is, Everybody loves a nice smile wide and good teeth white, especially if you're black. You learn to smile early. But time enough already for all that smiling, the jaws tire, the snarl lurking behind the grin gives the teeth ulcers. Enough of the smiling. If they don't like me without the big grin and white rolling eyes, they can take a running jump in the wind. Okay, talking about wind, I'm going to read uh, the first of three Maubrun poems. I'm writing these things called the Maubrun monologues, uh, having great, great fun uh, writing them. And um, Suzanne Bonner, who's, who's here, is, uh, is going to be one of the Maubruns, because Maubrun has a doppelganger too. And uh, it's going to be on in Glasgow at the Tron in November. But anyway, so this is the first of the, of the Maubrun poems, and this one's called Maubrun Goes for Colonic Irrigation. <laughs> <laughs> See, you got the wind connection there, did you? <laughs> you were waiting for it, but you're blight people. Blight with shiny faces. If you compliment the audience, you're allowed a sip of water. Anyway, and you, if you know the Bruins, does everyone here know the Bruins? Yeah, well, this is an international festival, you see. I mean, there might be people here from other places. <laughs> but anyway, um, the Bruins, if you remember, they begin with a little rhyming couplet. And so this poem's got its own rhyming couplet. Ma Bruin finds a new hobby, says cheerio to the impacted jobby. <laughs> Sorry. I hope you've all had your lunch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you feel... Part of you fallen a war, all your past, your mistakes, the daft lads you winched a four paw, the rang dresses, the rang recipes, it all falls a war. <laughs> what a lot there. Halfway through the hail procedure, the man finds a bit of hoch was endured. Though you hadn't eaten potted hoch for och years, years, things. Life takes odd turns. You forget the times you were black affronted, said the wrong thing, had your back again the war. It's a wee straw. You hardly feel it at all. It's bra. Michty, it's a liberation, this colonic irrigation. <laughs> all of a sudden, your old body is a hail new nation. Rid of the parasites, clean as a whistle, you're saying, ho, ho, gone yourself, and you lose a hail stain. The liquid they shoot up doesn't half stimulate evacuation. <laughs> Better than a 40-day fast, I'm telling you. The past is the past is the past. They used to use a clyster syringe with a rectal nozzle and plunger. Clevens, James, I was tempted to do it myself. I'm my own worst enema. <laughs> Baking soda, tap water, etc. But I thought, no more. Treat yourself. You're a long time deed. What's the point saving for a rainy day when old hawks rotting away in your bowels? <laughs> I'm a water buy a new hat in the sale. What a day. What a howl. It's been great fun writing these, thank you very much. It's been great fun writing these um, because just about anything that you think of can makes you laugh, you know, any title in your head. Uh, so coming up is Ma Brun meets Gordon Brun. <laughs> <laughs> Ma Brun's vagina monologue. <laughs> just to look forward to later in the reading. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great fun. Anyway, on a more serious note, uh, this is a poem called Woman at a Window. And... Uh, it's from the painting by Edgar Degas. 
I don't know if you know it. Do you know the painting? Oh, yes, some people nodded. That's nice. Oh, arty people in, you see? Arty people in. Mobrun would be pleased. <laughs> Did you hear that, Mobrun? <laughs> Woman at a window. There's nothing in my appearance except that I'm disappearing into the uncertain light. Nothing would make me certain of any conviction or if I've made the right decisions with my life. At this point, with my skin drinking in the available light, I find it impossible to remember if I'm a widow or a wife, if I've had a life of ease or a life of strife. In a darkening afternoon, nothing has happened and nothing will soon. I'm sitting at the window, forgetting the day I was born, watching people come and go, unseen, invisible. My hands are calm, steady on my lap. I'm lying low. Whatever it was, I forget. The answer's no. There's something slow and pleasing about disappearing into the dissolving light. Secrets I might have had will go with me to my grave. Lovers I might have loved walked ahead are already dead. I'm sitting here at the window, emptying my head of the past or the future perfect or the conditional. I know what's impossible, what's not been said. In the room next to me, someone is playing a few aching bars of an old piano. If I ever danced, I've forgotten the steps. If I ever longed for change, I've lost the path I meant to follow. Now I'm all shadow. I sit at the window, listening to the beginning of the piano. What was lost won't now come back. I've let it go. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, this is another poem with uh, windows in it. And this I'm going to read for my mum, who's, who's here and sitting in the front row. There she is! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just to embarrass her. Uh, uh, and, um, and, th and this is a poem called Windows, Windows Lakes. Um, I always wanted a house with a bay window, my mother said, reading the estate's agent's window in Kendall. Imagine sitting in the sun reading a simonong heaven in a cushioned bay window in an L-shaped room of a bungalow. It took me back to the houses of my mother's imagination years ago, the ones with turrets and wings and open-plan kitchens, ground floor cloakrooms, ooh la, three double bedrooms, one en suite, with dining and drawing and reception rooms, double-fronted Georgian houses with shutters and sash windows, the years of window-shopping dream houses. She never moved from her 1950s semi-detached, wimpy, wouldn't you have just loved a conservatory, she said, peering in at the Kendall's window, four beds, 350 grand, to grow cherry tomatoes, read the Sunday papers in the sun. All landscapes exist in the imagination, Naipaul said. My mother's best houses were in her head. I picked her up at Oxenholm, that nostalgic station. I saw her searching for me through the train window. She climbed gingerly onto the platform, William Morris walking stick in one hand, suitcase in another. The train she got off of sped into the past. Lovely days in the beautiful B&B &B in Kendall. Lovely houses in Kendall and so much green. We wound our way around the river in the one-way system. We stopped for lights at Howard Hodgkin at Abbott Hall. Then our days ran out. As we left, a man was washing the windows of the B&B. &B. We walked under his ladder. I drove my mother through the scenic route to Carlisle, through Staveley, past Beatrix Potter's Troutbeck, over the Kirkston Pass, Grisdale to the west, Bedafall to the east, past Patterdale, the trail end of Ullswater, Placemel, Matterdale End, Little Mel Fell, gently waving hello, snaking and winding our way, singing, you take the high road and I'll take the low, drinking it all in, the plains and vistas, Beautiful, beautiful, my mother said. I always wanted to see the lakes, Wordsworth and Shelley, Grasmere and Windermere. But here, nothing compares to our campsy glens, our <laughs> fintry hills, my mother said. 
kissing my cheeks at Carlisle and pulling herself onto the train for Glasgow, too busy finding her seat with her stick and bag to wave through the train window. I stood watching the train gather speeds along the track until just the lines were left, the double lines of the old train track. I drove down the M6 back to Manchester, the windscreen wipers wiping the tears, past Penrith, past the turn off to Kendall and Windermere, I gripped the wheel, stared through the car window, remembering the imaginary houses years ago, the big bay window, the bay horse and the play-doh, the half-open baby grand piano playing Faso La Ti Do. I also read that from my friend Diane Dixon, who's here, who requested it. I haven't actually read it before, so it's quite nice to read poems and make yourself read new things. Most of this reading, actually, is, is new things. But, um, you see the wee pages flutter anxiously when they're being brought out for the first time. <laughs> and this is a poem called George Square. Um, this is uh, actually for, for my mum and my dad. Um, my dad's not here. He's gone to hear Carol Ann Duffy. <laughs> 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 but we'll read it for him anybody and anybody who sees him who knows him just tell him <laughs> and I'll, I'll also read this for my, my friend Margaret Gilmer are you here Margaret no she's not here Margaret no oh she couldn't oh well tell her I read a poem for her will you yeah see me after okay well Margaret's in her 90s anyway um George Square my 77-year-old father put his reading glasses on to help my mother do the buttons on the back of her dress. What a pair the two of us are, my mother said. Me with my sore wrist, you with your bad eyes, your soft thumbs. And off they went, my two parents, to march against the war in Iraq. Him with his plastic hips, her with her arthritis, to congregate at George Square, where the banners waved to each other like old friends flapping, where they'd met for so many marches over their years, for peace on earth, for pity's sake, for peace, for peace. And just to complete the, the round of family poems that you're hearing, this is um, my, my son uh, went to, to, he was um, 21 actually on, on Friday, last Friday. Tell me I don't look old enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Monday after his 21st birthday, so that wasn't enough for the mother to go through, he went to Guadalajara for a year. And um, so I'm, I'm, he usually comes to Edinburgh, he's usually here every year. So I'm reading this poem for him, even though he's, he's, he's not here. Um, it's really good having a, a very tall son. He's, uh, he's six foot two. He says to me, Mum, if I stand at my full height and give you a hug, I feel like I'm consoling a small child. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so this is a 21st birthday poem for, for Matthew, who's in Guadalajara. Matthew, I remember how before you were born, I felt you dancing in my waters turning and twisting and flipping, and how just after the Sunday afternoon when you came into my world, you danced to Handel's water music, that same tune you'd heard since conception, a fluid, watery dance. And now, 21 years on, you're still dancing underwater, my son, with stingrays and yellow fins, barracudas and marlins, finding in the deep mystery of the sea something of that tranquility I imagine you loved as a tiny baby. Now you swim between shoals of tuna, closer than the imagination, those vivid colors, and the water parting its magic hands. And you, my proud, adventurous son, take the whole wide world in your fine hands. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to read a, another Ma Brun poem now, and this is a Ma Brun meets Gordon Brun. You're all very nice. You're all very nice. That's Ma Brun being smarmy. Here we go. I haven't read this before either. And I'm not probably going to read it again once, 
when Suzanne started up there. Let's sit down, Gordon Brun, because I could wipe the floor with you. And I didn't want it to be o'er too soon. You're giving the country the runaround, and the Bruins a bad name. I have to say, no, he's no relation, and keep the heat doing. <laughs> You're even giving socialism a bad name. Politics is all patter, all flannel, all smarmy talk and smutty claims. I want to give some advice, Brun to Brun. You'd be better off flying to the moon or locked up in an asylum for loons. You look like you're suffering through depression. <laughs> like you're doing all the time. Doing, doing, Brun. Doing like the pound, the slump, the recession. Your face is falling fast as the Dow Jones Index. Your popularity is waning like the FTSE 100. The proletarian is without property. It's like everything is sliding off the cliff edge of your fizzog, Brun. <laughs> so you're in the fog. The black dog is snapping at your heels. Your skin is gray. You don't look real. Step down, Gordon Brun. Let Ma Brun stand for Prime Minister. I can think of ideas mere sinister, a day much better than your shower. I sort out the bourgeoisie. Let's rediscover the joie de vivre. Let's view reality and history dialectically. Let's get away from dumb and doon, Gordon Brun, and bring back debate and discussion. Mechty me, don't vote Brun or Cameroon. <laughs> <laughs> They're just oddities. Vote more Brun. What's a commodity? I'm telling you, a commodity is a thing. Fight for a classless society, by Jove. The economic downturn offers a chance for a makeover. Gone big spender, a while you go entrepreneur. Boom to bust. Gordon's boom to my bust. Ho ho. <laughs> that was good fun. <laughs> It's Ma Brun's turn to be Prime Minister, the first ever woman. You can't count Thatcher. <laughs> step down, Gordon Brun, step down. The country's got the wrong Brun. Am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> am I right or am I left? Change, it's been a long time coming. The winds of change are surely blowing. Hands up those that would vote Ma Brun. <laughs> All those who form on Marlborough's manifesto say aye! aye. <laughs> Bra, meet me at number 10 Gleep Street at high noon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, it's a wee outing. A change of tone. A change of tone again. This is called Stars Sea, and I'm going to read this for Denise. Last night, the stars were fat in the dark sky, not so far from Cardigan Bay. You and I stood out in the night, bright girls, saying aloud the ones we thought we knew. Far away, you might have heard the sound of the sea behind the rolling hills. To make the sound of the sea, you tell me, you put many small stones in a big rug and shake and roll them back and forth. The stars were bright as lights gone out in the sky's big eider down. And now, goodness me, when I wasn't looking and you weren't either, we found each other, girls staring up at the jeweled sky, women swimming in the September sea, later, We'll climb the cottage stairs to bed and make our own stars in our dark night sky. This is another uh, love poem. Oops, in here somewhere. This is called Body of Land, another new poem. Her eyes are the colour of Loch Ness, seen for the tap of the hill coming down the road from Moniac Moor, or the colour of a field or harebells, seen for the train windy through the Cairn Gorms after Aviemoor. She's no here, nae mare, but when I saw that hair 
bound across the field by the wee bothy. I thought of her, and then again after, when the red deer stopped and stared in Glen Strathfarer, and late that nicht when the crescent moon sang a sweet lullaby to the sky, and then next morn, early licht, first thing, the bright yellow gorse smelt like her hair. I saw her there, lying under water for an age, her features distorted and loose, and then all of a sudden, rising up, her hair sleeked to her head like a seal, like a selkie. There was never only getting away. There was only this, going backwards, getting close. Thank you. I should say quite paradoxically, I read that poem from a man called Craig, who's up there, <laughs> and writes me lovely letters. Oh, you're all wondering now, aren't you? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to read just a couple more things, and I'm going to stop and see what questions you have. And um, I should have said that um, this, this whole reading I've been dedicating in my head to, to dear Catherine Lockerbie, the outgoing... Uh, director of this uh, wonderful book festival. It's so great to, to be here. I've been coming here for years now. I feel practically like an institution and Catherine had been running it for nine years and so I think we should all, even though she's not here, give her a great big round of applause. <laughs> and maybe we should whoop as well. <laughs> if anyone's friends with Catherine, tell her I whooped, tell them I whooped for her. It's quite fun. This is for another friend. This is for uh, my dear friend, Ali Smith, whose birthday it is today. And this is a poem called Fear. And uh, it's, it's, it's a poem um, that was inspired by Robert Burns's John Anderson, My Joe, John. Um, uh, and in, in the poem, I kind of imagine us getting old too. I'm really kind of fascinated with the idea of uh, getting old. And I write a lot of old characters uh, for, for some reason. It's maybe because my grandmother lived to be quite old old enough to add the half years, 91 and a half, jockey. <laughs> and it got me to wondering when I get old, whether I'll be the same kind of old as my grandmother or a different old altogether, you know, some kind of ghastly new old, <laughs> walking stick in one hand and mobile phone in the other, <laughs> texting my pals with my soft thumbs, <laughs> and whether technology changes us in, in, in any way at all. My gran actually had an amazing line of expressions because she came from Loch Gelly in Fife, and when Ian McEwan got the booker for the second time, she said, Ah, we old jockey, the fat sow's arse is always greased. <laughs> oh, dear. You're looking very nice. <laughs> If you went to the topmost hill, fear, where we used to clam as girls, you see the, day, the snow the day, fear, settling on the hills. You'd mind another day, maybe, we're andun the hill in the snow, sliding and singing our way to the foot, lassies laughing together, how bra, the years slipping awaw, oot in the weather. And now we're suddenly old, fear, your friendship's ne'er been weary, well, have I seen the world differently? Where would I have been without my fear, my fiercey, my dearie-o? Your hair might be silver now, your walk a wee bit doddery. But we've had a whirl and a blast, girl, through the cold blast winter, through spring, summer. Over a lifetime, my fear, my bonny lassie, I'd defend you, you, me, blithe and blatter. Here we gang down the hill, nay matter, past the bracken, bothy, bonny braised barley, out by the roaring sea, still having a blether. We who love sincerely, we who love say fiercely, the snow ne'er looks say barry, nor the winter trees say pretty. Come on, come on, my dearie, tuck my hand, my fear. Thank you very much indeed. You've been a, a lovely audience, and I, I'm going to finish with Ma Bruin's vagina monologue. 
<laughs> you see, you're laughing already. <laughs> Control yourselves out there. <laughs> anyway, you've, you've been very lovely. Let's have another drink. <laughs> Some people have got that running gag and others haven't. <laughs> I should say that that wee baby there has been really wonderful. And look, she heard me saying it, or he. It's a really lovely wee baby. But, uh, but you need to close the ears for the vagina monologue. <laughs> Right, Marbrun's vagina monologue. Years when you had it on you, but you weren't sure where. Years you produced wains, but you weren't sure how. Years when your perineum was a museum full of perch. When your clitoris was the name they gave to a butterfly before it was a caterpillar. <laughs> when Euretha was what Archimedes said when he stepped into the bath. <laughs> or the sum of three triangular numbers, when your anus was a planet once mistaken for a star. Years when you thought vagina was a yin that gave a Christmas speech on television and wore a crown, what a letdown. When your uterus was a row of mirrored imaged houses in one street, same roof all the way down. When vulva was the national river of Russia and there was and there was a song about it that went, vulva, vulva, mother vulva. <laughs> when the labia majura was a piece of music that went from major to minor, when your hymen was a song of praise or robbers that played in travelers of the past, <laughs> when you didn't know your arse from your elbow, when you thought that sperm was something you got when the flu, when you didn't know what to do, when you did in the dark, fumbling, thinking intercourse was a new wee fandangled phone you could use room to room, and your cervix was a way of sending parcels quick from the States. <laughs> Sorry. When you thought period was another time in history, a full stop or a piece of heavy furniture, when you were out of your time, out of your league, when friends of yours in Glebe Street seemed to know about the birds and the bees and be blasé and teas and teas and teas and you, Maubrun, were all alone and naive. You mind the day when somebody first properly explained and told you what you had and you screamed, no, no, I don't have a vagina, I'm a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> a Marlbrun and turned beetroot to boot and Maggie, your own daughter, all known and superior, says, Aye, you do, aye, you do, mother, you have a vagina. And there was nothing queenly about it and you weren't any crowned, you frowned. You said, didn't he talk vulva, that's rude. <laughs> and went to lie down and there in your own bed, you looked out at the moon. Marlbrun, you said to yourself, and dared to touch Dune, and further Dune. And what a freak to give to yourself! That must have been what they cry an orgasm! Eureka! What a din! What a din! You shook and shook like the one shortbread left in the shortbread tin. Anyway, in the end, you settled for calling your vagina the Sunday Post. Since it got opened once a week. <laughs> and Pa agreed and cried his private pairs, Ur Willie. <laughs> If you have a question, please. Ask me about the vagina. Because they please put up your hand, and uh, there'll be a mic. We'll come to you. So everyone's so stunned. Everyone's yeah, shattered. There's, there's and someone here in the middle. Can you see? Jackie, I've heard it said that people who write are either frustrated actors or actresses <laughs> or uh, comedians perhaps or comics is it true that something of you is the performer as well as the writer it's kind of the marrying up of the introvert with the extrovert 
Do you understand my question? Oh, yes, I do understand your question. Thank you. It's a very good, very good question. Yeah, no, I, I think definitely I, I used to go to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama when I was um, 10 to 16 on Wednesday afternoons and Saturday mornings religiously, didn't I, Mum? <laughs> and I absolutely loved it, you know, because we'd get, you would get mime and improvisation and you'd learn how to project your voice and throw your voice to the back and things. But when I go for auditions for things like the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, I'd never get the part. <laughs> Must be from, because I was from Glasgow and not from Edinburgh. <laughs> Wrong accent, maybe. <laughs> and then one time I went to the, the Fort Theatre in Bishop Riggs, where I, I grew up, and uh, went for a part. And uh, the woman said to me, you're really, really good. I'm sorry, you're just the wrong colour. <laughs> And so I decided that um, I, would, I wouldn't be sort of try to be an actress. It was long before the days, really, of interracial casting. It's not much, not, not greatly, hugely better, actually, today. There's still lots of trouble for black actors getting, getting parts. Um, but, um, so, um, but I decided to write instead. And the first things I wrote were plays. And um, I, I'm still not, I don't think I'm very good at writing plays, but I like keeping trying um, because I like the form. And I think it's probably the hardest form of all the forms to write. And um, as for the introvert and extrovert thing, yes, I think that, uh, um, what is it my, my son said to me, I was an introverted extrovert and he was an extroverted introvert or something, I didn't know what he meant, but it sounded quite lovely and psychologically complicated. But, but uh, I think that, um, yes, when you, when you write, you have to have a side of yourself that is very, very different. The, the person on the page, if you like, privately on the page with your own page is different to the person that comes and, and reads here. And in a sense, you, it's quite a schizophrenic uh, existence and you do need both sides of yourself I, I think I, th I really enjoy performing but I also need to kind of um, you know get some writing done Thanks. <coughs> and there's a question here hi um, when do you decide to write in English and when do you just decide to write in Scots because obviously the fear poem I think would have sounded completely different well it would have obviously sounded completely different if it was in English but I think the sentiment and the emotion might have been lost if you'd written it in English I just wonder why yeah. you, how you make the decision yeah, that's a good question I think you've answered your question in a way because I think it's, it's to do with an emotional choice language um, so I would use old Scots in that instance I was writing a poem to, um, that was um, a response to um, Robert Burns's John Anderson, my Joe. So I, I did choose to write it. I suppose I could have written in English, but I wanted to write it in, in Scots too. And, and um, I like the idea of Gies my hand, your trusty fear, because a lot of people say that line at New Year, but they don't necessarily know that it's the old Scots word for, for friend, and so, so is Joe. So, and I like the idea of celebrating friendship over a lifetime, and particularly two old Scottish women, because we have loads of poems about romantic love, but not necessarily so many poems that celebrate friendship itself and it seemed that the writing that poem in Scots was, was a good idea but generally um, sometimes the decisions kind of made for me without me necessarily sitting rationally and thinking I'm writing this in Scots because because that would be like something that a critic could, could decide for me and I'd probably leave that up to them but I think it's probably a, an, an emotional uh, a choice but sometimes you can sort of talk a lot of rubbish in answer to a question like that you know <laughs> I'm trying to stop myself no I could because I could go on and give you loads of different explanations they might be plausible but then I would know that I was talking a lot of rubbish so I'll stop myself you know? I remember once going into a school in, uh, in Bristol and, the, and one of the students said to me um, we've noticed that you lose a lot of cherry blossom in your poems do you use this because it's a Japanese sign of regeneration <laughs> and I said no it's the only tree you know the name of <laughs> And that day I'd forgotten my own book and I had to borrow the teacher's book and there was all these wee notes in it, which was really fascinating. It's a bit like reading gossip about yourself, you know. So I read this and I came to one that said, punctuation seems all wrong. <laughs> so I read that out to the class and the teacher blushed a pleasing rest. <laughs> but ever since then I've watched my semicolons. <laughs> Yep, there's one here and then a, and then a man at the back. Is the Marlborough thing at the Tron just going to be called the Marlborough something? It's called the Marlborough Monologues, yes. It's going to be on it. It's actually booking, they're booking seats for it now and it's selling out very quickly. So if you want, no, it's not sold out yet, but it is, the tickets are selling fast. So you sh if you want to come, get on the phone to the Tron. <laughs> but um, yes, it should be fun because it's only on for the five days. So, and I think it only seats, how many? 300 people. So it's... It's not a lot of people, really. October. Yes, um, no, November the 3rd to or the November. 8th of November. Yes. Were well, you going to come? Yay, great. <laughs> and there's a chap. Yes, you've got it. Thank you. 
Jackie, thanks for our intravenous <laughs> injection of humour. Um, just a, a wee thought. Could you have a, a sequel to Ma Brune's Vagina Monologues, How to Become a Virgin? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know that Ma Brune... Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because cartoons are probably virgins as well, aren't they? There's sort of something asexual about them. I kind of love the idea of playing around with the postmodernness of, of the cartoon as cartoons themselves do because you know with Scotland's happy family as runes are called there's so much potential of, of discovering all sorts of different things about them and imagining things because she's both simultaneously very real and could have been a virgin or a married woman and also simultaneously unreal and we all know that and yet we all keep this in our heads and, and so that's why she's a kind of a, a fascinating character to, to play around with. And there's someone here and then up here. Thank you for a wonderful reading. Uh, I was wondering because it seems to me that many times in your poetry you break with traditional values and stereotypes. And I think taboo words, uh, you play with these words, with sexism, ageism, all these taboos. And I was wondering what's the important, uh, importance of these kind of words in your poetry and if you are aware of it, of, it, of breaking traditional values. Um, thank you for the question. Um, well, yes, I mean, I think that, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a political writer. I have thoughts, you know. I, I'm a, I, I'm a, I, I believe in lots of things, and, I'm, and I try and write with humour, I suppose, about lots of things that are very important to me. You know, in, we live in a society where old people are very discriminated against. Our care home systems are absolutely atrocious, you know. It kind of appalls me the way that the hospital people treat old people often. You know, my, my mum was in hospital recently with a uh, with a eight hour long uh, nosebleed, and uh, I was in hospital with her in the middle of the night, and they said to me, um, "Are you taking the old biddy back to her care home?" And I thought, you know. It was like she'd never marched, she'd never loved, she'd never had children, she'd never been a teacher, she'd never had interest, she'd never read the Raj Quartet, <laughs> she'd never been to see many plays, she'd never nothing. She's suddenly into this old biddy back to it, which made me raging with anger. And I thought, well, you know, you, you, you fight against stereotypes and the ways in which people are perceived all of the time. And that's really put my life's work. I mean, that's what I want to do. I want to fight against the ways in which people are seen. But I don't want to kind of preach to people and make people feel that like they're being told what they know. So I want people to be able to discover these things as live things and as, as interesting things, you know. And that's why I'm, I mean, I'm very lucky because I was brought up by my mum and dad, who both are very political people, but have great senses of humour. And in this uh, same hospital, when she had to have a, a blood transfusion, the nurse said to her, Mrs. Kay, I've got to ask you an awkward question. If you die in here, do you want to see a minister? <laughs> and, and my mum said, quick as a flash, only if he'll resuscitate me. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, you know, sexism. We live, in, we live in, a, in, a, in a world that can be sexist, can be racist, can be against women and whatever. And I like exploring the whole issues of all our various identities in all our various forms and, and different ways. You know, boys, girls, men, women, gay, straight, black, white, Scottish, Italian, <laughs> French. <laughs> From my friend Catherine Marcangeli. Oh, I've got around nearly all of my friends. And then there's all of you. What are you all? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I think it's yeah, it's important. I think to embrace the world, and I've always seen Scotland as a country that um, is internationalist and can be internationalist in its perspective. A small country that looks out at the world, and that's what I, I like to to try and do as a as a wee woman. We've got time for one more. I think there was one. Yes, well, just two one more. more. Should we take oh, two? Yeah, two on this side, right? right? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Who was the other person? Were they? Oh, there. Was it okay? Hiya. Um, I was wondering that, to me, I can't exactly describe how, but there's a great musicality to your poetry. I wondered what your relationship with music is. Like, are you musical? Do you enjoy music and that kind of rhythm, that sense of rhythm? Um, I'm, I'm musical in the sense that I love listening to music and I've listened to it all my life and really love jazz. And thank you for that. That's a nice compliment. But I like, I like listening to, to jazz music and Scottish folk music and well, classical music, a whole range. And music kind of has, has informed my life just as much as literature has. Uh, 
And I like the, the idea that we all have a soundtrack, you know, to our lives. But as for singing, no, I, 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 uh, I can't sing. I'm kind of tone deaf. And I would love to be able to sing more than anything else. I would really love to be able to sing. So I suppose writing uh, poems for me is a way of singing because you can try and put the musicality and the rhythm and all the things that you associate with music into, into poetry. But yes, no, I'd love to be able to sing. My dad can sing, but I know I can't. I can't sing to save my life. <laughs> it's a terrible sadness. Maybe I should take some classes because they say everybody can be trained, yeah. There's one other one. One more here, I think. Yeah, and then. Um, hello, Jackie. Hello. Um, I noticed this year you're wearing very muted colors. Mm. Um, other years you've been dressed in very striking colors. And I, I wondered, <laughs> have you passed? Is this a compliment? Where, where are you heading with Absol Absolutely, absolutely. Whichever way you want to take it, it's a compliment. Um, and, and I wondered if you'd passed some sort of threshold or... Um, <laughs> We said one last question, didn't we? <laughs> was, that question? was that the question? Uh, no, in fact, I'm retracting that question because it's not gone down well. Um, the other one is, you mentioned um, an expression about a sow and a greasy arse, and everyone laughed, and I don't know why they laughed. Could you explain the joke? <laughs> uh, well, it's a kind of a, a pig, and it's, it's... I don't know actually how to explain it. So it's like a joke, actually. Once you explain a joke, it's not funny. So I'll not ask somebody else in the audience to explain that one to you, because I'm not telling you because you've been rude about my top. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think this colour is aubergine, actually. <laughs> very, very elegant. Sahara. <laughs> I'm afraid that is all we have got time for, but uh, Jackie will be signing in the signing tent if you just go to the right when you leave here and she'll be signing um, the Lamplighter, uh, the dramatised poem and this wonderful collection of new and uh, collected poems in Darling. But please, um, before we go, could you just give an enormous vote of thanks for a wonderful hour to Jackie too.